0: Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. The text for the sermon today is the Gospel reading from John chapter 2. If you'd like to find that in your Bibles at any time, it's in, on page 71 of the New Testament. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. Lord our Rock and our Redeemer. Amen. Please be seated. Our text today ends by John saying that Jesus did this, the first of his signs, and revealed his glory, and his disciples believed in him. And I want to begin by drawing your attention to that word sign because that's a special word for John in his Gospel. It's John's word for miracle. There's different words you could use for a miracle. John uses this word, a sign. So what's a sign? A sign is something that points to something else, doesn't it? It points beyond itself. And so what John is saying is that these works of power that Jesus does are not simply to get your attention, but they point beyond themselves. They point to deeper truths about who Jesus is and what he has come to do. And seeing as this is the very first sign that Jesus does, I think it's fair to conclude that there's some special significance here. This is the very first thing that God wants to reveal to us about Jesus and all that he's come to do. So what is it pointing to? There's many things that we'll see as we go through the text but the overarching message that it's pointing to is that who Jesus is and what he's come to bring is far more like a joyful wedding feast than anything else. Isn't that an important message for us today? Because so many people see the Christian faith as nothing more than a dreary set of rules to follow. And so they've rejected it or given up on it. But Jesus says it's nothing of the sort. It's far more like a joyful wedding banquet. That's what this points to. So, as we meditate on this sign with that overarching theme, we'll look at two main points from the text. First, we'll see our emptiness and what to do with it. And then second, we'll see Jesus' abundance and how he brings it. Our emptiness and what to do with it, Jesus' abundance and how he brings it. So, on the third day, there was a wedding in Cana of Galilee a little town out in the country somewhere that never gets another mention really in the New Testament. Jesus' mother was there, we hear, and Jesus and his disciples were also invited and the wine ran out. Now, it's quite possible that this wedding was of a relative of Jesus, maybe even one of his brothers or something like that because you might have noticed how Mary appears quite prominent in the story. She's very invested in this celebration. Now, a few notes on wedding customs here. Weddings and wedding feasts in the East are quite different from what we're used to. So, these celebrations could go on for days and days and they are whole community-wide events. And one of the differences that I find interesting too is that whereas in our culture we all know who's the centre of the wedding day the bride in this culture not so much. The groom was much more prominent and whereas in our culture traditionally often the bride's family would foot more of the bill in this culture the groom was the one responsible for providing the wedding feast including the wine. So the wine runs out. This is very embarrassing. This is even shameful we might say. This effectively means the party is over and in a small country town you know what it would have been like. People would have been talking about it for years. You know that young couple, they couldn't even get organised enough to have enough wine for their wedding feast. The wine ran out. Now, here's the first point at which something deeper is being pointed to. Because in the Bible, wine is usually not just about wine. In the Old Testament, wine is really a symbol for joy and God's blessing. So, we hear the Psalms speak of wine as that which gladdens the heart, brings joy to people. Often talk of God's blessing is accompanied by language of barns bursting with grain and vats overflowing with wine. And when Israel turns away from the Lord and comes under judgement, their situation is depicted as the vineyards being destroyed and there being no wine. But when God acts to save, when he sends his chosen Messiah, then we read things like this that the mountains shall drip with sweet wine and the hills shall flow with it. Now you can hear that's not literal language, isn't it? Wine is about more than just wine, which is also why this story is certainly not about Jesus condoning drunkenness or anything like that. There's deeper significance to this wine. So when the wine runs out, we can legitimately understand here that this points us to our own spiritual emptiness, to all those situations in life where we run dry. It doesn't matter who you are or how much life and vitality you have, eventually in life things run dry. The question is then, what do we do with our emptiness? Well, let's see what Mary does. Mary comes to Jesus and says, they have no wine. Jesus' response is not particularly enthusiastic, is it? Woman, what concern is that to you and me? My hour has not yet come. Now, to us that can sound rude, even disrespectful, can't it? But it's not really. You might remember that Jesus speaks in a similar way to his mother on the cross in a very tender moment. It's not rude, although he certainly does distance himself a bit here from his mother. Yet even in the face of this unenthusiastic response, Mary persists and tells the servants, do whatever he tells you. Now what was Mary asking? I'm not sure and I'm not even sure that Mary knew. I think she just saw the problem and she went straight to Jesus trusting that he could help in some way. She doesn't make a request, she simply says they have no wine. The implication is this is going to be a disaster. I don't know what you can do Jesus but please just do something. And in this Mary is a model of faith. What do we do with our emptiness? What do we do with the emptiness of those we love? There's really only one thing to do, to bring it to Jesus in faith. So Mary said to Jesus, the wine has run out. We come in our emptiness and we say to Jesus, the treatment the doctors can offer me has run out. My employment opportunities have run out. The joy in my Christian life seems to have run out. Jesus, the love in my marriage seems to have run out. Jesus, my patience with my children has run out. My relationships with friends have run out. We bring our emptiness to Jesus in faith, trusting in him to act and like Mary, even when we seem to receive an unenthusiastic response, As our prayers seemingly go unanswered, we still cling to Jesus in persistent faith, knowing that he will act in his time and in his way. This is the first part of our story, our emptiness and what to do with it. But now let's shift gears and see the next part of the story, which is about Jesus' abundance and how he brings it. I wonder if you've ever known someone who's extremely generous and always going over the top. So you ask them to bring a simple salad to your place for a barbecue and they bring salad, but they bring flowers, they bring wine, they bring chocolates and more. Jesus is like that but infinitely more. You ask him for a glass of water and you'll get a reservoir. You ask him for wine and watch out you might just get a winery. Mary comes to Jesus with the emptiness of the feast, probably hoping he can just somehow tide them over to avoid embarrassment. She gets a lot more than she bargains for as Jesus miraculously turns this huge amount of water into wine. We read there were six stone jars there, each holding 20 or 30 gallons. Jesus said, fill them up and they fill them to the brim. Now, let's do some quick maths here. 20 or 30 gallons would be between 75 and 110 litres. There's six jars. So, even on a conservative estimate, we're talking about 450 litres of wine here, 600 bottles. If my calculations are correct, taking a standard wine glass measurement, about 3,000 glasses of wine. Now don't take my calculations as exactly correct even though my year 12 maths teacher is actually in this congregation. The point is just that this is a lot of wine. That in Jesus we see the abundance of our God. Just in the chapter before this we heard that the word became flesh and lived among us full of grace and truth. And from his fullness, we have all received grace upon grace. He's brimming over with grace. And this is a beautiful picture, a beautiful miracle which shows that same thing. Jesus says, the thief comes only to kill and destroy, but I have come that you might have life and have it abundantly. And notice it's not just the quantity though, it's the quality too. The master of the feast tasted the wine and says, everyone serves the inferior wine first and when the palates aren't quite so sharp, sorry, the best wine first and when the palates aren't quite so sharp you can get away with the cheaper stuff but not here, the best is last. Jesus doesn't come with cheap plonk. These aren't the clean skins that nobody else can sell because they taste like burnt rubber. This is top shelf. Penfolds Grange, Dom Perignon. This slides over your tongue and tantalises the taste buds. This is the best. Jesus gives abundantly and he gives the best. Now we might ask, does that mean I can expect a big house, nice cars and a lot of money? Well, no, because that's not God's best, is it? We think that's the best, but that's not what God considers best. A good verse to keep in mind in connection with this theme of the abundance of God is in Ephesians 1 where Paul says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Notice not cars and houses, every spiritual blessing in heaven. Life, salvation, Forgiveness, the Holy Spirit, the eternal wedding feast, this is the abundance of God for you. So in contrast with our emptiness, we see abundance in Jesus. But how did he bring this abundance? This is the final thing we need to see in our text. Those big jars holding all that water, what were they for? John says they were for the Jewish rites of purification. And again it seems this is a sign to something deeper. That this same Jesus who comes to bring abundant joy also comes to be the ultimate purifier. When Mary comes to Jesus, what does he say? My hour has not yet come. And if we read through John's Gospel, we find out that that hour is the hour of his death when his true glory will be revealed. And as he hangs on that cross to be the once for all purification for sin, the very one who here provides hundreds of litres of the finest wine at a wedding cries out, I thirst and is given only sour wine to drink. Jesus drinks the cup of suffering, the cup of judgement, so that you might drink the wine of joy at the wedding feast that has no end. Jesus is the true bridegroom. This is the first sign and it points to the ultimate end so that in the final chapters of Revelation we hear blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb, eternal life described as a great wedding feast, where Christ the bridegroom takes the bride into his embrace forever. Just like Isaiah prophesied in that Old Testament reading that God will delight over his people as a groom delights over his bride. There's nothing like seeing the face of a groom as that bride walks down the aisle and that's God's disposition towards you, his dearly loved people, utter delight. And just a little aside there before we finish. I realise that all this talk of wedding imagery today can be unsettling and even painful for some of us. Perhaps it reminds us of the brokenness of our own marriages. Perhaps it reminds us of the marriage we long for but have not yet had. Please know this that while every human marriage runs dry from time to time and some indefinitely, here is the only true bridegroom who will never fail, who will always provide, who will always delight in you. The changing of water into wine at the wedding of Cana is a sign. It reveals Jesus' glory, it strengthens our faith It's a sign that a new age is breaking in where God brings joy to all. That far from a dreary set of rules to suck the fun out of life, Jesus brings a feast that knows no end. And as you come to this altar today, you receive a foretaste of that feast to come. Where miraculous power is again at work, not changing water into wine but so that through the bread and wine you receive the body and blood of Christ. Here the master of the feast bids you to share in his joy. Here the heavenly bridegroom takes the bride into his embrace. God grant it to us for Jesus' sake. Please rise. Lord Jesus, Lord of the feast, our heavenly bridegroom, We bring you our emptiness and we ask for your abundance. We thank you for drinking the cup of suffering so that we might drink the wine of joy in the feast that knows no end. And the peace of God which passes all understanding guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Amen. Amen.